Hey guys, welcome to episode seven of the Sip It and Rip It podcast. You got Pierre here in his basement and we got Luke in his wife's office. All day, buddy. How you doing, Luke? Fantastic, Pierre. How you doing? Great. Uh, we have no Jordan on right now, but uh, today's episode is a real good one for golf in Edmonton. Uh, for those who've followed it for a long time, we have former pro golfer and collegiate golfer Barrett Jarosh on the show. Uh, we dive into a few different topics with him. Unsolicited, it feels like he may or may not listen to us. He supports a lot of our ideas. What do you think about it, Luke? I like the fact that when he broke it down to the simplicity of what golf can be and how to use golf, not not just for fun, but for, for him and for business, uh, he gets into some really great points. I think people are going to really enjoy it. And I think a lot of people are going to be, a take a, be able to take a lot of this and actually put it into their actual golf game and their careers and just fun golf in general yeah and he made a lot of great points about uh people who golf with him for the first time usually probably feel intimidated by the idea of golfing with a, a plus handicap who is former pro and what they find out is he's a fun guy on the golf course who likes to have a few drinks enjoys himself and uh it's not about competing or taking his friend's money it's about the uh the social aspect of it all which was really great to hear and uh it was really interesting to hear some of his stories from his college days and his pro days surprising amount of information about uh what was it kinetic tape that we find out about graham delette uh graham delette's got some pretty pretty decent stories in uh, in his life on the canadian tour and uh and beyond i think so good friendship built up and get some good stories from the tour and from college and just some really great information just about his life in general and junior golf collegiate golf and onto the professional ranks yeah, and we got to talk about the evolution of how workouts work for collegiate golfers. And uh, and how when the hockey team comes in second, oof. they spend a, a very different type of time in the gym. And uh, Giorgio got to, to see what value Project Golf actually has. And uh, it sounds like Barrett really extended his career in the end by making some small changes to it. And, uh, you know, it's good to hear that the, the game continues to evolve and the aspect of it being an actual sport with athletes participating. Well, he goes right into that. Look at the new golfer today. Look at the best golfers in the world today. All of them lift. It's not just a game where you're smoking cigarettes, being big and fat with a loose swing. It's, it's, it's way more athletic now. It's way more involved. And I think that it's adding some, validity to the tour and and what makes it an actual sport i feel like you just went out on a limb to target john daly there pat perez john daly and don't kid yourself i love pat perez he is the man but damn buddy gotta hit the gym all right without further ado let's jump into this interview with barrett and you guys uh, it'd be great if you could interact with us a little bit on instagram tell us your thoughts your feelings and what you're really enjoying about this podcast so far all guests on the show are brought to you by our friends at Connect Belts, the belt to have you looking good, feeling good, and hopefully playing good. Connect Belts. Visit them at connectbelts.com. That's K-N-K-T belts.com. And use the promo code GS20, Connect Belts. All right, guys, we have a special guest joining us today. Barrett Jarosh is joining us from Edmonton. He is a pro golfer. He's going to dive into a little bit of his career and his background. But before we get to Barrett, let's uh, say hi to the gentleman. Looks like Jordan's in the gym today. In the gym. It's been a long one, Mondays. And then uh, we got Luke in his wife's office. Every time in the wife's office, boys, unless she's working. Perfect. He gets kicked out. That's true, and I always get kicked out. I'm second fiddle in this house all day. 
just know your role. That's a good place to be. Pierre's in his, Pierre's in his parents' basement this time, not in his yeah, wife's basement. I, so I'm in my mom's basement here. <laughs> so, Barrett, uh, as we do every episode, it is called Sip It and Rip It. So, uh, what are you drinking on tonight before we dive into your golf career? Uh, we got a, uh, the Trip Hammer Robust Porter from Blind Man Brewing. Going. Uh, good one. And then, Jordo, what do you got over there in the gym? You shouldn't be drinking at work, but. You shouldn't be drinking at work, but we do have some beers in the mini fridge. So I'm drinking a little Heineken right now. It's not my top first choice, but they were left over. So, you know, that's what we It's classy, though. It's good. It's refreshing. And Luke, what do you got down there? I got the, the Florida Weiss by Bland Mine Brewing. This is an awesome patio beer. I could drink these a lot when it's hot outside. It is crisp for sure. You're on a real roll here. I think that's like your fourth different beer for four weeks in a row since the AGD train stopped. So that's good. I ran out of pop tops. I had to switch up to what was left over in the fridge. Um, with uh, Belgian Moon again, because I just can't stop. So Barrett, Edmontonian, you, you were telling us beforehand you got into the game probably in a little different way than the majority of people get into golf. Let our listeners know how you, how you really started getting into the game. Um, got into it just, I was into every single sport when I was a kid. And I had to be doing something. I mean, I as embarrassing as it is, I mean, I think I, I took diving as a kid, like, and I'm not, I'm short and wide. I'm, I don't have a diver's body, but yeah, I dove. But uh, a buddy of mine, we played baseball together. Uh, his dad was a, a member at Windermere and uh, I grew up on the South side. And he said, hey, you know, it's a couple hundred bucks to be a sponsored junior. Why don't you come play for the summer when we were, when we were 12? So joined that summer and got dropped off every morning by my dad on his way to work and would get picked up, you know, in the lights at night playing with a glow ball somewhere on the golf course, you know, at night kind of thing. And absolutely loved it. Played my first tournament a couple of years later and soon other sports started dropping off and golf started taking a bigger role. So you go from being a junior, you're playing from your, when you're 12 years old, you start to get better at golf, start getting better at golf. And then eventually you get down and you're playing college golf in the United States. What was your journey from junior golf to playing tournaments to getting down and playing in the United States in, uh, in college? Yeah, I just, the first tournaments I played, and I don't even know if they still had them, but the Edmonton Journal used to sponsor a junior golf tournament at Rundle Park. And that's what I first started playing in and finished quite decent um, my first couple times out and then decided to take the step up and play uh, the Alberta Golf Bantam. It's always, I think, held at, I think it's still held at Riverbend in, uh, in Red Deer. But went down, played in that, finished, I think, second in my age group and just kind of kept going. Then, you know, the next year I played uh, the Alberta Juvenile, the Alberta Junior I qualified for. And next thing you know, I was playing all the Edmonton Junior golf tournaments and started finishing a little bit higher to the point where all of a sudden you start making teams provincially that now go to nationals and started playing and finishing decent in um, the Canadian Junior, the Canadian Juvenile. Played the Canadian Am when I was a kid. I played my first, uh, I got an exemption into the old TELUS Open when I was 16 years old and made the cut when I was 16 and just ended up getting noticed and got a couple scholarship offers, went down, toured some schools and settled on University of Denver and got uh, got my education paid for. Didn't graduate because, well, I, that's a, another story. Golf and having fun ended up coming first before school. But, uh, you know, it was wicked to go down there and, and obviously play golf and, and live 
well, live on my own. I mean, lots of guys get to experience it playing junior hockey, but being able to go down there as an 18-year-old living in dorms in a U.S. college was just wicked for a Canadian kid. It was fun. So you said it's a story for another day, but I, I was going to dive more into your, what's the recruiting like when it's golf? Because we, we see it on TV, what it's like for football or basketball players, or we may know a junior guy here or there who's gone down to the States and, and they tell their stories of their their visits. Are the visits as crazy when you're on the golf team? Like when you go down there, is, is or is it pretty tame? No. I mean, come on. We're golfers, man. You're wearing a you're wearing one of those Velcro visors and a polo and some khaki shorts and you're cruising around. It is not crazy at all. I got to hang out with some of the guys on the team, but it was in like, a, I think we were in the athletic building when I got to meet them. Like I wasn't, they weren't taking me out for a night on the town kind of thing. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't get that experience. <laughs> So even like for when you got down there, were you like, how does, how to explain to our listeners too, and how the teams, the golf teams are going. So like, is everyone on the team playing all the tournaments or is it like a kind of a starting roster or how does that all work? Yeah, there's, there's a starting roster and most, most freshmen come in and they, they're usually a red shirt freshman. So they're on the team, but you're just not going to make the traveling team. And in doing so, you keep your eligibility because you're not playing any competitive tournaments. So, I mean, lots of guys also do that in football, basketball. They're a redshirt freshman. They come in, they bang out a whole bunch of their schooling. And now when they start their college career, they can go light on schooling, focus on sports and whatever. But I came in and um, I didn't play my first tournament because freshmen weren't allowed to travel the first week. And the first week of school ended up being 9-11 which was oh, freaking crazy. My first week at school, I'm in the States. In the States, my, wow. My, my mom's freaking out back here because, I mean, that's happening in the U.S. And it turned out that the team was actually in Portland playing, and it was all the seniors that were playing, and I was back on campus, and it was, it was just wild being down there. But I didn't play that one, but after that, I qualified, and I made the, the traveling team most weeks. So a college golf team is made up anywhere from – eight to like 16 guys like an ASU will have like 16 guys on their golf team and typically schools will have qualifiers the week or two weeks leading up to tournaments at their home course where all guys play and they pluck the the top five guys or they go you know the top two these guys are top in the country they're obviously traveling next week we're not making them qualify so the rest of you are qualifying for the remaining three spots and then college golf is five guys play and four scores count each and every day. Uh, most tournaments are, uh, are that. So, yeah, you can, you can travel and not contribute to your team if you're the high guy every day. But that's how it worked in our program. Now, for to kind of touch on getting into more competitive golf, I had a number of conversations with, you know, your, your amateur golfers here in town that are be like, oh, it'd be kind of nice to do some competitive tournaments, some of the Alberta golf stuff, the Alberta Opens and the, the men's amateur. Any any interesting stories? Obviously, you started really young, so it was a bit of a difference. Any cool stories or interesting stories of stepping on that first tee and having those, like, nervous jitters oh. and just, like, that difference between just golfing with your boys and drinking and then tournament play and just how different those are? I think I was nervous uh, for my first tee shot my entire career, starting from my very first tournament to when I packed it in professionally in 2012. I was like always nervous. So I used to, my strategy was always, okay, play conservative, you know, don't screw up, don't hit it OB off the first hole. Like, let's not like throw this away before it even got started. And I also had a really tough time teeing the ball up lots because literally you're like 
freaking like shaking because there's people there, you know, someone announces your name, eyes are on you. It's, it's a tough thing to get used to. So I was always somewhat nervous. But uh, later in my career, I took the, the stance that pull driver out and just literally swing as hard as you possibly can. <laughs> And I started going to that mentality and it actually works out a little bit better because <laughs> at least you're not, you're not as nervous if you're trying to take a nice, easy swing. You just tee it and absolutely murder it. And wherever it goes, who cares? Just as long as it's findable, let's get off the first tee and start the round. <laughs> Did you have any like first, like first, like pregame, like routines and things that kind of just got you ready to go? Or was it kind of just like, let's go boys and rock and roll? My my wife actually still makes fun of me today because my whole life is like a superstitious, like I, I'm a huge creature of habit. So like I used to eat the exact same thing no matter where I went. If the closest Starbucks was 20 miles away, I would get up extra early drive just so I could have my turkey bacon breakfast sandwich and my coffee. Every single morning I had to eat and drink the same thing. And then I, I only played number threes out of a case of golf balls. So golf ball manufacturers put three dozen golf balls in your locker each and every week. And so I would only play the sleeves. So I would, my first practice round, I'd play ones. My second one, I'd play twos. And the entire tournament, I would play threes. And I wouldn't use fours. I would give fours away. Like when you'd sign a ball and throw it to a kid or whatever. That's, that's what I would do with those. So very, very superstitious on socks had to go on the right way. I had to wear white shoes the first round. Not, not a stable individual. It's like a goalie for superstitions over here, yeah. eh? It's weird, yeah. You've played junior golf, you've played college golf, and now you're looking at going to play professional. What, is, what are the steps to go from college to play professional? What were the drastic differences between playing a junior or college tournament to going and now playing pro, caddies, touring around, sponsors, all that kind of stuff? What, what, what were the big differences you saw between playing junior to college to pro? So, I mean, first of all, um, when you go from one to the other, in all sports, it's probably the easiest step to go from being an amateur to a professional because in lots of other sports, it depends on draft picks and the coach. Are they going to play you, stuff like that, to get your opportunity? Are you starting the minors? Are you going to get called up? In golf, you go play a tournament, and if you're good enough, you're good enough. It's black and white. It's as easy as can be. So pretty straightforward for making that transition. And I got to remember the second half of your question was how, how, oh, I guess mentally, how, what's, what's the transition? It's so much different because college golf, you're out there just by yourself. I mean, your coach may cruise up in a golf cart and check in on you every once in a while, but college golf, you tee off on Sunday and you play 36 holes. So it's a shotgun start. You start on whatever hole and you play 18 holes. You pick up your box lunch on your 19th tee box and you literally just continue playing golf. So it's 36, there's no break, there's no anything, you're out there by yourself. And then the next day is just 18 holes. There's no leaderboards out there, or very few of them. It's, it's pretty simple. Professional golf, my God, the, the check-in procedure, I mean, to go to register, and then to go get golf balls, and then to go find your caddy, to get your caddy bib, to figure out the schedule for the week. I mean, players you'd, you'd always have to play in pro-am so you got to find out what pro-am am I playing in uh, where do I have to be at what time do I have to attend the dinner all of this stuff before the tournament even starts 
And then, and then amongst there, you're trying to get your preparation done and get your green book done and get your clubs dialed in is one of the biggest things in professional golf. Cause you could be in Florida one, you know, on Sunday and you're playing a practice round in Colorado on Monday and the ball goes, you know, 50 yards further with an eight iron between the two places. So it's, you know, trying to make all those adjustments and juggle everything. So it was really, and, and it actually took me quite a while to get used to that. And I don't even know if I've, I fully got used to it by the time I packed it in, but that's probably the biggest adjustment is going out and playing golf with being able to ignore and not kind of glorify all of those other things that, that you're doing besides golf. So how do how does someone go from college to professional golf? Like, uh, did you have to go through Q school or did you get exempted out of school or how did, how, what was your journey like to go to your first tour? Yeah. Q school is the road for most people. I mean, unless you're Jordan Spieth and you get, sponsors exemptions and then you win one of them and now you're <laughs> you're on tour you're you're tiger i mean most guys are are q schooling so you know i i first started out on the canadian tour i was unsuccessful at q school and getting my permanent card i got a i got a conditional status where i got i think i was guaranteed two starts the entire year so i drove around in my car and played all the monday qualifiers before the events and then uh, went back to q school the following year and finished quite high and then had full status and played that until I, I jumped up to the nationwide tour. So nowadays you can watch like the Q school, you can see the Q school, like the, or excuse me, the Monday qualifier Twitter account that shows like who's playing on the Mondays. Oh, yeah. Seeing what the Mondays look like now for PGA events first, maybe the Mondays when you were playing and the roster of guys who are out there, was the talent the same on the Mondays when you were out there or because like nowadays like seeing the mondays eight under is sometimes not even close to good enough yeah mondays are are insane it's ridiculous i mean you look at some of these guys and what they shoot week after week after week on one round they go and pull 61s out of there like it's absolutely ridiculous it is i think it's deeper now than back when i played but i think that's because status doesn't last as long as it used to like if you were a past champion and you had so many tournaments in, you could just play in pretty much any tournament you wanted to beside the majors. But now they've shortened that and made it a lot more competitive and more welcoming for young guys to get in. So you don't have these veteran guys that are, you know, making the cut on the number and finishing last. But because the guy's been out here for 30 years, oh, he gets status over some guy that just came out of college that's a better player. So they switch that status up and that's why you're seeing more of these guys in these Mondays. And some of these old guys want to play those Mondays because the PGA tour pension is a pretty good pension. So you want to get your events in and, and they're also trying to get ready for the champions tour. So um, you're seeing more of those guys play that because I mean, Jeepers, not only has the PGA tour, I mean, the, the money they play for gone ridiculous since Tiger started, but the Champions Tour, I mean, what those guys play for is insane now. You can have a, a guy that was kind of a fringe player through his 30s and 40s, bouncing around on mini tours, go out on the Champions Tour and make a ridiculously good living. So uh, I, I think that's, that's kind of the combination why you see, you know, so many guys in Mondays. So are you telling me that if I get my game in order before 55, I should be able to make a good living after that? A hundred percent. Absolutely. I think I'm a few strokes off still, but who knows? <laughs> All right, what are some highlights, good and bad? Maybe some, uh, maybe some fun stories from your pro career, anything that can be uh, shared to the listeners. Oh boy, highlights. Um, 
golfing highlights, obviously I'm not doing it anymore. So there couldn't have been too many highlights in that department, but you know, I had a couple uh, really good rounds um, later in my career when I was uh, on the nationwide where, you know, I shot 63 in the first round of a tournament and you're leading by a couple and it's, that really gets the adrenaline going when you're, your name up there and, and everyone wants to talk to you and your game is just perfect. I mean, that's, that's probably the best feeling more than uh, any attention you get is the fact that, holy God, I actually hit it where I wanted to for an entire round. That's pretty fun. And actually to go back to, it was in Boise, I think in 2010, I shot 62, I think 62 or 63 in the first round and I was leading and I split my pants on the very first green. So I was, I was sponsored by a clothing company called Sub70. They, uh, they were out of the UK. And it was like tighter. It's kind of like Ian Poulter-ish stuff, which is not my personality at all. But my agent found me this stuff. And I have a very weird body shape. I got a, a very long torso for my height and short legs. And so these pants were just like way too tight. And the first hole I go to get my ball marker out of my pocket and I split them like not in the crotch, but from like the pocket down the side of the leg, the outside seam. And I'm wearing black pants and I'm wearing like blue boxer shorts and I got to split down the side so you can see this blue thing. And so I had to go into like the very first restroom and play and it was so hot and switch into my rain pants and play the rest of the round in my rain pants, just melting because I split my freaking pants. But as far as, you know, some, some highlights are just the people you get to meet. Like I'll, I'll never forget, I was in uh, Atlanta practicing for a PGA Tour Monday. And when you're on the web.com or the PGA Tour, you get free playing privileges at any TPC you want to play at. So we were at the TPC there and we're hitting balls and we, we go to, to the first tee to play and this golf cart comes ripping around and it's Rodney Harrison hops out and he's like, hey man, and it's when he was still playing before he started with, uh, with NBC. And he pops on. He's like, hey, man, um, you guys play on tour? And we're like, yeah. Um, he's like, you mind if I join you? And he just wanted to, like, hang out and play golf with some good golfers kind of thing. And we're, like, blown away. Like, holy crap, man. <laughs> this is Rodney Harrison. This is unreal. So um, stuff like that, getting to go to dinner parties and charity things and just hang out with some people, meet and get to see people. Lots of those guys, when you see them on the golf course, you actually get to see what they're like. It's not like, oh, I bumped into someone and he was getting hounded for autographs or whatever. You're, you're hanging out with them in a place that's comfortable. And it just, it's nice to get to meet people like that. One of my funniest stories, and he's probably going to shoot me for, uh, <laughs> for saying that. Actually, you shouldn't, because I told this to another podcast that was interviewing him. But Graham Dillette, we, uh, we grew up and, and played junior golf together along with James Love out of Calgary. And we traveled together. Q school together. Um, we're still ridiculously good friends. But when we were on the Canadian tour, our very first event was in San Jose. And we're staying three guys in a two queen room and high round each day sleeps on the floor. The other two guys get a bed and me and Graham miss the cut. James makes the cut and finishes, I think like 12th and makes three or four grand. And we went out, we had dinner. We filled the bathtub with like ice and obviously Keystone Light because we're fresh out of college. So Keystone Light's what we're used to. And we're playing like, after, we're playing drinking games like Saturday night after the tournament in the hotel room. We go up for like an expensive steak dinner. We blow most of 
the money that he made. <laughs> he paid for everything. And uh, we get back to the room and we have an important golf outing the next day. Uh, we got invited by the owner of Hagendoss to go play Monterey Peninsula Country Club. And so we got to get up early and drive. So we're, Graham passes out first and we, we want to fuck with him. But we're like, well, we can't draw on his face because we're playing this really nice golf course tomorrow. So instead, he's got his sunglasses on, he's passed out, and he's pretty hairy dude. So we proceed to lift his shirt up and we take the lint roller sheets and peel them off and cover his, like, his chest, his legs, everything, tuck them into bed and go to sleep. Well, the alarm goes off. We hit the snooze. The alarm goes off. We're late. The room is a disaster. We haven't packed yet. And we got to like head down to, uh, to Monterey, Monterey Peninsula. So we're getting ready and Graham finally rolls over and you just hear this loud rip and the scream like, oh my God, you wouldn't believe what I did to myself. I got so drunk. I put lint roller sheets all over myself. <laughs> and me and James are just dying like, oh really? That's at least, we're, at least we're getting away with it. He believes he did it. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's too good. Yeah. He was so, he's like, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> but honestly, it, um, you know, I, I made the choice to pack it in just because my life was going in a little bit of a different direction. And I was of an age that I was ready to kind of settle down and quit traveling around living out of a suitcase. But the opportunities and stuff that, that you get, even though it costs a lot of money and you have none and you usually don't have a permanent residence or anything, you live out of a suitcase. It was, it was sweet. Well, yeah, you got to live out like the dream, right? I, growing up. That was kind of my, my plan. I was going to be a pro athlete, but I had no clue what sport it was going to be in. So there was no direction, no nothing, but you got to live that dream and you chased it pretty much till the end, right? 29-ish? Yeah, yeah, 28 I packed her in. There you go. So, I mean, you, you got you got some few, few years in, but you mentioned, uh, you know, going to University of Denver and may or may not have finished your degree and uh, maybe some good times that were had during your college career that you maybe wanted to chat about because that, that seems like something that could be relatable to some people out there yeah. is the, uh, you know, hitting the, the college dream. And you mentioned freshman year, usually it's a red shirt and yourself, you got to play. So you only got four instead of five golden years in there. But yeah, yeah, I, uh, like I said, I was, I was not a great student. I wasn't a great student in high school. I just, I was smart enough that I got really good marks by not trying hard and got a scholarship and the first year of of university in the states is a lot easier than grade 12 is here so you go down there and the first year is just easy so easy and you know you get into college parties and you get into i mean my my main focus was i was an athlete student not a student athlete i was uh, way more wrapped up with the the golf side of things and that was my bigger priority over over school which much to the chagrin of I'm sure of my parents but it was just so much fun I mean I I look back at all the stupid stupid things that we did and the fact that you know we'd we'd show we'd work out right before the hockey team I mean uh, University of Denver we didn't have a football team but we had a D1 hockey team which was almost better for a kid from Canada and so buddies I grew up playing hockey with were on the team and so, I mean, we'd go watch them. They were back-to-back national D1 champions while I was in school. So 
it was so awesome to to be there and watch that but we we would work out before them and they would just shake their heads at us because we'd have guys that would come home from the bar change into their workout gear let themselves into the athletic facility and sleep at the athletic outside the doors of the gym and the trainers would come in and like kick and wake these guys up that are passed out reeking of booze because they didn't want to be late for workout so they got dressed the night before You'd have guys that were dating a girl on the tennis team that would show up in workout gear, but it would be like women's tennis shorts instead of men's golf shorts because they <laughs> they maybe didn't spend their night in their dorm. <laughs> it was, we were, yeah, we'd get done our workout and like the, the hockey team would be waiting, just shaking their heads like, you guys were idiots last night in the bar and, you know, we actually got to get in here and work out and you guys are just messing around. <laughs> So it was lots of fun. I, I didn't graduate because I left early. I had an opportunity to play on Team Canada 2005, and I went and played on Team Canada. I went over to Japan and, and played in uh, Argentina and, and did some stuff and then decided that I was going to turn pro, and that, that was my path and what I was going to do. And you know what? I can finish school later. I was only a couple courses short. Just made the decision to do that. And, I mean, now, obviously, I really wish that I would have, and I might still – when I get some time, go and finish it just for my sake. But no, you, you can't look back and have regrets. Your choices are your choices. So your workouts back in the day, Jordan probably, he's going to shake his head at this one. That was my, that was my question next. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna, no. you, go, you go ahead. Like what, what kind of workouts were you guys doing back then? <laughs> they, were, they, were no, they were nothing. They were nothing. Like this is the entry level of, of golf and fitness. Like this is before TPI. This is before yeah. like any of that stuff like we're talking 2001 like this is when fitness was like tiger was still kind of the only guy doing it really duval i think did a little and vj did it but like it was not a big thing whereas now if you're not doing it well you you just can't compete now i mean the everyone is doing it so i mean the the kind of workouts we were doing i mean not only did we not take them that serious but they weren't they weren't you know as sport specific as golf training is now um yeah far cry from that it was just You're doing curls in the squat racks or what 100 we're in there just generally just like okay yeah we'll do kind of some of this and like what well, is this helping me is this not <laughs> like is this going to help me turn a little quicker like <laughs> what's going on here but um yeah it nothing like today today the the fitness thing today blows me away or even toward the end when I was playing I started working with someone and doing some more sports specific stuff for that and it is mind-blowing for me it wasn't the strength aspect that was the big one it was the flexibility aspect you know being able to mine's usually mostly in my hips and my lower back kind of thing but once you have that range and you also have the strength to support the golf club like fully turned in these positions it's crazy how good you can get and how much quicker you swing the club and how much more balanced you are in in awkward lies and stuff it makes a huge difference so i mean i know jordan you're that's that's your world and it's yeah. it's so much more complex than i could even imagine i mean someone that played golf and i understand golf i have no clue about your world and i mean i understand the basics of it but the complexity of all that stuff is crazy. Well, I'm like, I think that's part of it, right? Like, obviously I'm working with, you know, more amateur golfers and I work with a lot of older members and, and, and people just, they just want to move well on a daily basis in and on and off the golf course. 
but I always say, like, especially on the, you know, with the, the pros and how much they're playing, like, even for you guys in relation with how much you guys were playing on the pro circuit, how did your bodies feel afterwards? Was it where you're feeling yourself noticeably getting super tired? And would you guys have to do certain things to try and get up the next morning, 5, 6 a.m., and then go tee off because you're maybe, you're, you know, the first one out or whatever? Like, how was that process and how the body felt with how much you guys were playing? So my big one was always, you know, stretching beforehand was huge. And um, then roller, like when we roomed together, our room had rollers galore and everyone like you just lay on the floor with a golf club and just stretch and roll everything out um, so that it didn't stiff up or you didn't throw, you know, throw anything out. That was, that was huge. And then I would always run, you know, before dinner. So whenever I would finish playing, I would then go run after just so I never felt tired walking the golf course. I mean, you play in some crazy heat and humidity in some places. And so those were the two main things that really helped me was just constantly stretching, working stuff out and, and being hydrated and then just trying to do some running. But it, yeah. it's, it's nothing like, like it is now. It's, it's crazy now. Yeah, no, it's, you can definitely get, uh, and it's fine. Cause I always tell people then, you know, what to expect. I'm like, we can get as detailed as you want to get, especially if you are working with, working with a golf pro and it's, you know, they're going to tell me what somebody needs to work on. And so then I'll do my own assessments and then let them know, like, okay, here's what I'm seeing. And it's just this, it's cool to see this team aspect and, and people then slowly start to be like, Hey, I can, I, you know, I can get better at playing golf, but I am going to have to, you know, put in the work to, to get there, if, you know, whether you're a pro or amateur. So one thing I like though, is it's, um, it, it, you do notice it. I almost find like you notice it more than maybe other sports, like working out and stuff. Like you notice a significant, at, at least I did in the stuff, stuff I was doing. I noticed just, I was able to hit it further. I was able to hit, you know, a few more golf balls. I was able to feel better back, felt better at night. I slept better. There, there were a bunch of things that just you know, drastically improved by doing just a little bit very specific to what my needs were uh, each and every day. So being a pro and being able to play out on tour and you get to play all kinds of different courses around the world, what were your favorite golf courses you got to play? Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the United States, but where, where did you absolutely love that you would just love to go back and play? I really liked playing in New Zealand was pretty cool. That was my first nationwide event was the New Zealand Open and that was, that was pretty cool. The golf course was just very unique. Hilly terrain, very interesting holes. It was uh, Michael Hill, the jeweler. It was, uh, it's his golf course that the tournament was held on. And it's just a, a very fun golf course. I mean, my, my favorite place I've, I've ever played, I, I would say, would probably have to be Sahali in Washington. Just very unique. Uh, I think VJ won the PGA Championship there in 99, maybe. I mean, they have the huge redwood trees that I mean 20 people arm to arm to go around a trunk of a tree and those are the those are the fairways that you're hitting down that are just shaped by these massive trees it's it's, uh, it's one that I'll always remember trotting around those courses what were your favorite clubs who was your favorite club sponsor and what was your favorite club in your bag I was always Titleist I was a Titleist I I flipped a little bit in college but my pretty much my entire professional career I was with Titleist so very biased toward them and favorite club has got to be the uh, driver. I, um, that was my favorite. Well, my, my best attribute. I was always a really, really good ball striker. Least favorite hands down is my putter. Hence why I have the most putters probably out of anyone because 
I don't think they made one that would ever work for me. How many Scotty Camerons do you have? We've got a few in the basement. Yeah, the wife's the the wife is always down there in the in the gym in our basement, looking at going. Can't we get rid of some of these? Like you don't use these, and it's like, come on, those remind me of all the all the yipped putts and all the misses I've had. Where you know, if, if I make this, I could maybe have a steak tonight, and I'd miss it, and so I'd have to go to Carl's Jr. or something for dinner. So, but which, I, which I one's for sale then? <laughs> Yeah, took the words right out of my mouth. I was yeah. just about to ask the same thing. No, I'm, I'm. I'll probably those. I'll take to the grave. I got my. I got my bags in the basement on my putting green, and yeah, I. I mean, at at the club here, I've got four putters in my locker at all times. So there's no putter that's safe. Anyone could get the yank at any point in time. So I, I got to have lots on standby so I don't run out. I feel like it's the only weapon that you can just consistently replace, but still fall back in love with an old one at any time. And I, I don't understand how it can look so different day to day. You can look down at it one day and it looks perfect behind the ball and you make everything. And then you go up the next day and it's like, the hell happened to my putter man did like i slam the trunk on it i can't make anything it looks hideous like get this thing out of my hands it's the greenskeeper they're cutting the holes differently every other day that's my theory absolutely yeah they need to start rolling them in the same direction each day awesome so a big thing that we talk about here with the the podcast is what things would you change to golf to make it more, uh, one, you'd mentioned bringing in the non-golfer, so more desirable to a non-golfer, and then even more desirable and more fun for, for golfers. Like, what, what would you change to the game? I just think golf for so long has always emphasized the actual game of golf. I look at the game of golf as, you know, a, a vessel for a whole bunch of other things. So, you know, I like golf now for the social aspect. I like it for... Music's on all the time, shirts untucked all the time. I never wear pants, it's always shorts. You always have to get a beer when the beer cart comes by. And if you, like lots of people are nervous to play with me. I mean, I'm, I'm no longer a pro. I got my amateur status back in 2015, but people are always worked up to play with me. And after they play, they're like, oh my God, you're, it's like the funnest person I've ever golfed with because we thought that you'd be like super serious and I'm exactly the opposite way. My wife is probably more serious playing golf than, than I am. I think that we need to advertise and kind of sell the social side of things, you know, exactly what, you're, what the golf society is doing with their events. That is what attracts people. And if you give them a vessel to go out and spend four hours, but they're enjoying the socializing and stuff, people will eventually start to feel more comfortable with the game of golf, hanging around with three other people with a club in their hand, chasing a ball down a hole. I, I think they'll feel more comfortable. And I also think that in that atmosphere, people become more tolerant because it's, it's not so much, I mean, I, new golfers and beginners, I mean, there, there's a lot of anxiety there. I get that. But I think most of the anxiety is worrying about what other people think about them or what other people are perceive them as. So am I going to play fast enough? Am I going to do something wrong that, that messes up with someone else's flow? All of that kind of stuff. And it's like, who, who cares? So I, in order to be more appealing, I, I would almost try to and, and I don't know how you do it with some of the rule sticklers that you have out there, the existing golfers, but you got to change the mentality of the existing golf population and make it a heck of a lot more welcoming atmosphere for other people to come into. 
because at some point you're going to be paired up with these people or they're going to be in the group in front of you, the group behind you. They're going to be watching you when you tee off. I think this, the golfing population as a whole needs to become a lot more tolerant and a lot more welcoming because we need to attract new people to keep membership numbers up, to keep traffic going through golf courses, to keep the game going. Otherwise, golf course by golf course is slowly going to get turned into a dog park or a condo facility if, uh, if we don't continue getting people out there. And I, I just, I, I can't stress to someone who doesn't golf, come out, give it a try. Trust me. I mean, I'm, I'm not serious. The people we're playing with today aren't serious. Just come out and enjoy it. You don't have to hit every shot. You can hit shots you want to. You can throw it here, do that. Just come out and hang out for the day and see if you like it. And most people, when they're done, they're like, absolutely, I would do that again. But I would only do that again if I was playing with the same people, right? Because I feel comfortable. I know them. They know me. They're tolerant of, you know, I, I, I can feel comfortable around them. So I, I just, and I, I don't know how we do that, but we definitely need to, you know, things like Jordan, like your events and stuff, more things like that need to, I think Top Golf has been a great thing to introduce people into swinging a club in kind of a party club uh, atmosphere. That's what we need to appeal to and get rid of the tucked in shirts, the high pants and all the, the stuffiness that comes along with it. Well, I think you mentioned something too. You said eventually, right? We need to, you create these little, you know, hopefully enjoyable experiences for newer golfers so that they eventually get used to it. And, and that we talked about this before, like there's going to be multiple touch points of, of influencing somebody to put a club in their hand and swing, you know, hit a ball and, and, and get used to the game, whether that's through mini golf or other things to the point where they eventually appreciate I guess the, you know, quote unquote traditional side of the game of going out for a round of nine or 18 holes. Yeah. Um, and it was actually, we played in, we played in the black wolf match play, me and my brother uh, last week. And I knew the guy, uh, one of the guys that we were playing against, his wife took my Queens of the fairway thing. And she actually did a great job and like had a blast. We had women playing together, really comfortable. Everyone's having a good time. And so when I ran into him, I was like, Oh, how's, uh, how's your wife? Like, how's like, she playing lots of golf. He's like, no, she, she pretty much quit because she was out for a round of, they were out for a round of golf together. And there was, you know, every, there was the hole was backed up and there was like two or three groups behind them watching her tee off. And she couldn't hit the ball off the tee. She started crying. And then she's just like, like that was so like so much anxiety for her and such a horrible experience that she just doesn't even want to step on the golf course. And it's like, and you mentioned too, that it is one of those things that for golfers, it is also our responsibility to make it a, an enjoyable experience for, for newer people coming out. So it's, it's, I hate hearing those stories and somebody that has like so much potential and they did have fun going out when they were with the friends, but just that certain experience just totally turn it around for them. So. I mean, I, got, I have one, even my wife, like I, I got my wife um, to join uh, down at Windermere uh, a couple of years ago and they have a, a ladies league. And so she joined ladies league and she's one of the younger women in, in ladies league, but went out like the first couple of times she came back, she was like bawling, just like, it is absolutely miserable. Like everyone is such a stickler for the rules and it's just like, I absolutely hate it. I said, well, just tell you what, we'll give it one month, give it a month. If you don't want to use it again, that's fine. And you know, we won't get you one next year. It's all right. Well, eventually she absolutely loves it. Uh, the, the ladies, I mean, they go there. Yes, they golf, but they go there to socialize. They get a glass of wine that they take on the golf course with them. They go out, they play. It's turned into something so important. I mean, they even get together outside of the golf season. They get together. I mean, she's now made some really, really good friends 
because of that. And that's what golf does more than any other sport is men's league hockey. You socialize in the locker room after you're not really visiting and shooting the shit and whatever while you're playing. Right. And you're, you're usually worrying about some guy who's trying to make it to the NHL that's still sticking you in the face. But with, with the game of golf, I mean, you get to do that, like a men's league or a ladies league or just a, a good group of, you know, eight buddies that go out and switch who they play with each week and you go out and you socialize. That is valuable time and people that can find a way to make that happen. And just, at the, and I don't know what the magical breaking point is, but it's not the first, it's not the second. You, you got to get people out there. You know, maybe it's the fifth or the sixth time before people fall in love with it. It just, it's a, that's such a tough barrier to, to break through. I want to, I want to touch. I know the other guys probably have something too, but while we're kind of on that, you mentioned earlier when you're talking about your pro career on, on the, all the different opportunities that it allowed you to have, you know, going to dinners and all this sort of stuff, but also kind of going into your professional career now too, you've met tons of, of interesting, cool people along the way through golf. How do you find that your career through golf and even just going to the course now, and the people that you meet has impacted either just your, you know, your, your general lifestyle, your, your career that you're in now and what you do and, and your overall just life. Well, people, you have a ton of credibility if you're a good golfer at a golf course, like instantly. So, you know, I'd be, I'll be playing in a, let's say a construction association golf tournament and I want to get some FaceTime with an owner of a client company that, you know, it was a pretty big wheel at an international company or whatever. If we're paired together and I hit one golf shot, I have that guy's attention the entire time. I can talk to him nonstop. He will listen to me. Um, he'll ask me questions about his golf. So you immediately have someone's attention by doing that. And it's something that, you know, lots of successful people in their avenue of business come into the golf world and are dying to be successful because people usually work than golf. I always joke that I'm, I kind of reverse retired. I did all my golfing and stuff before I started working. And so having that skill, I mean, it enables me to be very comfortable in, in that setting immediately. Walking around the golf course is just second nature. And so I'm 100% focused on the visiting and the, the social aspect or the, the conversation. And so I can actually get some work done. Not to mention, if you're in any sort of a service industry or construction, a golf course is where the, the people, the haves, tend to hang out, especially a private golf course. So you're, you're already kind of sitting in the arena with a lot of your target audience, and, and, and that gives you uh, some pretty good access. Awesome. I think that's something that's really good for, for a lot of our, our listeners is knowing that the networking capabilities of golf is, is massive. Um, like you said, it's, it's not like playing men's league hockey where your only time together is hanging out in the, the locker room and not focusing on the next Wayne Gretzky out there trying to make it at 47. Um, but the golf course is a great place to, to do business, right? You, you have time in a cart together. You have the meal after. You have pretty much someone's attention. Well, in your case, when you hit the ball well once or twice, that's all it takes to get their attention. So you have five and a half straight hours of someone that you can uh, you can talk their ear off and you can get a lot of information to. So I think that's really just a big part of golf. And like you said, to grow the game, we need to sell the aspects of social of the social piece of golf, not just the actual hitting the ball. Like, like you said, it's a good vessel, which made me think of like, 
pass as a good vessel for pasta sauce. That's all I could think of as soon as you said it. And my mind's on food. That's where I went to. But golf is just a great vessel for a, a lot of things. There's the social aspect, there's the business aspect. And then on top of it, like guys like us who are hacks, we can still chase a little bit of competitiveness and try and take $3 off our good friends. And that's a big part of golf. So. Well, it's, it's so wonderful that you can play it with anyone of any skill level. You know, it, I always use the tennis comparison. A shitty tennis player playing a good tennis player is not fun for both parties. <laughs> Whereas in, uh, you know, the game of golf through handicapping and, and whatever, you can go and have people on all ends of the spectrum. You have a great time and you can do it your entire life. I mean, as long as you're walking and your body's somewhat together, you can do that longer in life than, than a lot of other things. So it's something that can stay with you for a very, very long time. Awesome. So I think uh, I think we've asked a lot of the questions that we really wanted. Maybe we'll get you back on another day, Barrett, when uh, maybe further down the road when we're in episode 50 or 60 or something like that. But, uh, you know, we want to thank you for coming on. It's great to get a, a local Edmonton guy who's had some great success with golf and who's come back and who's having great success with business and still playing the game and being a part of it. And it sounds like you have pretty much the exact same perspective as us where we really want to grow the game and make it fun for everybody. And Jordan always likes to talk about the four-year-old playing with the 80-year-old. So, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, your age or your beauty. Golf is uh, golf's a good game for you. So yeah. thanks for coming out. No, thank you very much for having me. I, I hope this is a huge success. And I'm, I like the fact that it's a, a golf-related podcast that's around what I value as a very important part of golf. And that's uh, making sure it's inclusive and, and as fun as possible. So cheers to you guys. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Appreciate you coming on. Once again, thanks to Barrett for joining us, and we want to thank our guest presenter, Connect Belts, the best golf belt for men of style. Visit them at connectbelts.com and use promo code GS20. Again, that's K-N-K-T-Belts.com. All right, guys, thanks again to Barrett Jarosh for joining us. That was a great interview. What did you think, Luke? I thought it was super entertaining. I enjoy golf stories. I love to, I love to listen to interviews, so getting to be involved in one like that where you can go deep and especially the professional ranks and college ranks, some of the best stories I've ever heard come out of college, right? So it was, it was great to hear from him. It was awesome to hear his perspective on golf, where golf is going and how to use golf in your daily life. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get him on again sometime soon and maybe get a couple extra stories when we hit the links with him here in a few weeks. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully gather a little more content that we can share with you guys and show a little bit of Barrett's game. Uh, so, guys, if you're still listening, hopefully you are. Uh, make sure you're commenting on Instagram or send us a DM. Maybe let us know who you think should be on the show next. Or uh, if maybe you have some great stories yourself and you want to be on, fire us a message. Maybe we'll get you in. With Barrett, it was really good. I think that uh, it'd be great if we could get him back on, like you said. Uh, maybe someday he could convince a couple of his friends, maybe uh, James Love, Graham Dillette, uh, to come join him. And we could do a Canadian pro roundtable. And then uh, maybe get a, get more entertaining stories from out on tour and hearing uh, the truth behind the shenanigans that take place in hotels and how the guy who shoots the high score actually has to sleep on the floor in the hotel, which sounds... That is the best way to do it, man. Like, how else do you do it? It's so smart. I thought for sure low guy would sleep alone and the other two would be sharing a bed. But like high guy on the floor, that was kind of a curveball. That is expecting. so ruthless, too. You know, guy has a bad day and we're just going to kick him while he's down. I wonder what happens on days when it's like 67, 74, 74. Is it rock, paper, scissors? See who's on the bed? I guess we'll find out next time. <laughs> Great call.
All right, guys. Thanks again for listening. Uh, this is Pierre and Luke. Jordan is uh, was in the interview, but as you can hear, he's not joining us tonight. So, uh, you know, tune in next week. Hopefully we have a, ourselves another exciting maybe round of golf nerds and uh, Pierre and Luke can dive deeper into the PGA Tour again. I got some I got some things to talk about golf shafts, bro. All right. We're going to be talking shafts. All right, guys. Sip and rip. Sip and rip, buddy. Happy Canada Day. Thank you.